0: the red wave that's coming is going to be like the elevator doors opening up in the shining <laughs> that's what i think oh,
1: is that what you think joe rogan is that why they pay you hundreds of millions of dollars at spotify joe killed anyone with your COVID advice lately
0: well I don't know why i came
1: here tonight i got the feeling something right you know what I mean? i'm so scared in case i fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how i get down the stairs Clowns to the left of me Jokers to the right Here I am stuck in the middle with you I am from Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast As heard on KPFK, 90.7 FM in L.A., also in California, in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI, and in Round Mountain on KKRN. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, and Eugene's KEPW, Lancaster, Pennsylvania's WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, in Columbus, Ohio, on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. Rochester, New York's WRFZ, down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ in Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the internet's and the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Burden Square Radio, and Detour Talk. Blanketing Planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow says me from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us. Yes, uh, we, we we may uh, not have any wrong predictions about elections or <laughs> crappy advice that could kill you concerning COVID, but we're glad to have you here on the Bradcast anyway. Hope that's okay. Uh, hi, Desi Doyen. Hi, and we don't get paid a hundred million or two hundred million by Spotify to do it. Yeah, had to. You had to play that uh, clip there at the top just to get me going, <laughs> just to get me fired up, didn't you, Des? Anyway, well done. <laughs> Following uh, Tuesday's midterm elections, when Democrats performed much better and Republicans much worse than so many in our corporate media had predicted, you know, like. Uh, hundred million dollar boy Joe Rogan there telling us it was going to be like the doors opening in the shining with, I guess, all the blood pouring out or whatever the hell he meant by that. And by the way, in doing so, of course, uh, depressing the Democratic vote in the bargain in the uh, following that Sean Hannity of Fox News. Speaking of ...media failures, or I should say people who, uh, great successes, make millions of dollars while lying to and our, or failing to educate the American electorate, in fact... Uh, miseducating them is that if that's a word. That is a word. Sean Hannity of Fox News told his viewers he had no idea where this notion that there would be a red wave or a red tsunami uh, this year. Where could that have possibly come from?
0: Now I can't say for sure where the rumors of the red tsunami started because polls in almost every key race were within the margin of error, mostly only one or two points, and every state a bellwether, a swing state. The glowing predictions of a big red wave were frankly a little foolish and I have a rule in life never over promise and under deliver you want to uh, you know under promise and over deliver this is a deeply divided country okay yeah whatever Sean we're all looking for the guy who started this yeah
1: who could where did who can say for sure where those rumors of the red tsunami started there were any promises along those lines were foolish only idiots would do that where could where oh where could they have come from Oh, wait, I think I might know. I think maybe Fox News' Sean Hannity does not watch Fox News very much. Be an analyst for a second. Does it feel like a red wave? It feels like a red wave, Brian. You know, your predictions of a red wave are accurate. Somebody I met a surfboard, said the red wave is coming.
0: Red wave rising. That red wave that I'm convinced is coming. The reports I'm seeing show a big red wave coming. Sleepy Joe just guaranteed a red wave in Pennsylvania. There's a lot of energy on the ground. You probably hear the rally in the background right now. We think we're going to have a big red wave in Michigan. Democrats are bracing for the worst case scenario, a red tsunami. We are officially on a red tsunami watch. Sean, we're going to see a red tsunami. Red tsunami grows. That means red tsunami. We're not just going to see a red wave, we're going to see a red tsunami. Poverty, joblessness, critical race theory, crazy gender
1: ideology in our schools. We are going to see a red tsunami. And lastly, your prediction for tonight.
0: I think we're going to have a red wave. I think it's going to be maybe bigger than anyone thought.
1: On Tuesday,
0: we will be part of a big red wave that says enough is enough.
1: Up next, Elon Musk ready to ride the big red wave. Elon Musk tweeted massive red wave.
0: Massive red wave. Massive red wave. Massive red wave. You're about to see a red wave. That makes day after tomorrow look like nothing. That's going to be responsible for the red wave. I think the red wave that's coming is going to be like the elevator doors opening up in The Shining. (laughs) Rogan said that the red wave is going to look like the elevator doors opening and the blood pouring out of the elevator in The Shining. Like the elevator doors opening up in The Shining. That is correct, except it's not going to be an elevator. It's going to look more like Deep Impact, the tsunami at the end, but colored red. Remember that Teo Leone Deep Impact disaster movie? That's the red wave tsunami. That'll come ashore. It's going to be a brutal week for the Democrats beginning on Tuesday. And frankly, I've already DVR'd CNN and MSNBC for election night. Not because I'm going to watch, but just because I want to enjoy the tears uh, post-red tsunami. What
1: happened to the red wave, Congresswoman? (laughs) (laughs) So... That montage courtesy of MSNBC's Chris Hayes there. I especially enjoyed Ben Shapiro, another dude who makes millions of dollars for misinforming the nation and lying to Americans just about about everything. He was the one who kept playing that Joe Rogan over and over and over and uh, couldn't wait to see the tears of the liberals or whatever nonsense he had to say there. But other than that, Sean Hannity. I have no idea where those rumors of a red tsunami might have come from. (laughs) Now, uh, unfortunately, while it is fun to make fun of Fox News, despite how insidiously dangerous their political uh, propagandistic terrorism is to the nation. It was not just Fox News making those predictions. The same uh, or similar misinformation came from theoretically non-wingnut, theoretically legitimate news outlets as well. As MSNBC's Medi Hassan detailed in a Twitter thread this week, New York Times columnist David Brooks suggested quote, "We're probably looking at a red wave election" in a piece headlined "Why Republicans Are Surging" New York Times columnist Blake Hounshell uh, said, uh, quote, Democrats fear red October has arrived. Newsweek's Peter Roth, described as a, quote, longtime observer of the Washington scene, declared, quote, a red wave is coming. The only question is how high it will be. Michael Goodwin of New York Post, which isn't actually a real news publication, but some treat it as such. He wrote about New York's Republican gubernatorial nominee Lee Zeldin under the headline, New York Red Wave is Coming Ashore. Well, Zeldin lost to uh, Democratic Governor Kathy Hochul by uh, at least 325,000 votes as of last check. Some red wave. Then of course there was that from that guy named Joe Rogan who receives literally hundreds of millions of dollars from Spotify for his podcast that spread false claims about all manner of things regarding COVID and, of course, electoral politics, claiming that, uh, oh, it's going to be a red wave. It's got, like the shining with the elevators, the blood, and uh, that's what he thinks. And that's why he gets paid the big bucks, I guess. For the record, we are not paid by any media outlets. Only by you at bradblog.com slash donate. If you have 5 or $10 or, of course, 5 or $10 million dollars will <laughs> accept that as well. Uh there, there were and are many more examples of that. That is just of course a tiny taste of of those in the media who horrifically ill-served the American electorate. Yet again in the run up to yet another critical election. They do this year after year after year, election after election, and I've been covering them now for 20 years. And it just, I, I don't know, uh, you know, I'm sure as I'm talking about this, people are busily writing uh, me email at bradcast at bradblog.com to say, well, it's not an accident, Brad. They're doing it on purpose. They are trying to undermine the nation. They are Republicans. They work at corporate outlets. Well, maybe. Nonetheless, I don't report what I cannot absolutely confirm as independently verifiable. So, You know, instead, we report actual data, actual stuff we know. And in fact, there was stuff that we knew before the election that was independently verifiable, that was put right in front of my face. So if it was in front of my face, it certainly was in front of the corporate media's face. They got a lot more resources than I do to follow this stuff information that was put right in front of their faces by our guest joining us momentarily Tom Bonier of Target Smart who tried essentially to warn them that all of the available independently verifiable data simply did not sync up with this uh, notion this conventional wisdom that uh, they were all sort of convincing each other of Uh, Convincing each other that it was the truth, this conventional wisdom of a red wave, when when it was not, when there was hard data that could have, should have, did show them otherwise. And it mattered because how much of a difference. uh, It might have made in the ultimate results had Americans, you know, had they not been constantly battered with false, depressing information about the Democrats chances Oh, they're just terrible. No chance. Uh, a red wave. How high will it be? There, you know, no chance to save democracy itself. No chance to protect critical rights such as reproductive freedoms along with it. Anyway, Tom Bonner joins us momentarily for what I believe is a bit of a, vict- a well-deserved victory lap for him that he is due and uh, for his thoughts on how the media could have, uh, how it's possible that they could have gotten it so wrong. Even though a handful of guys like him and like Simon Rosenberg, and yes, even occasionally like us, uh, were able to get it right with far smaller budgets than all of these super genius reporters and, and TV pundits and podcast pundits. Anyway, he'll be here in a second for some quick updates Uh, as of Friday morning in several remaining uncalled but key races in Arizona and Nevada since we were last on air. A great big, huge, fresh dump. (laughs) Grow up, Desi Doyen. (laughs) A great big huge fresh dump of results from about 78,000 ballots came in uh, late last night from Maricopa County that's Phoenix, Arizona after we got off air. And here's where we are as we go to air today. Democratic Senator Mark Kelly's lead over Trump Republican challenger Blake Master in Masters. the Masters, thank you, in the US Senate race. That uh, lead over Masters has now expanded. Kelly now leads Masters for Senate by about 115,000 votes or about 52 to 46 percent. That is a six point lead. And those numbers were enough on Thursday night for Cook Political Reports Dave Wasserman to declare that he had seen enough and that, in fact, Kelly was going to win that race in Arizona, holding on to another seat for Democrats And he's really the first one to call it. He usually beats the rest of the media in in such calls. I've never heard of him saying I've seen enough and then having to uncall it. So we'll see if he's right. If true, it would mean that Democrats would now only have to win one more of the two remaining outstanding uh, U.S. Senate races in in Nevada and or in Georgia's runoff on December 6th between Raphael Warnock and Herschel Walker. Uh, in order for the Democrats to retain their majority in the upper chamber. In the much closer governor's race in Arizona, Democrat Katie Hobbs expanded her still narrow lead slightly over Trump-backed Kerry Lake. Hobbs now has about a one-and-a-half point advantage over Lake but that advantage has grown not shrunk since, those, uh, since that Big dump came in on Thursday night and one that I have been uh, very concerned about, a race I've been very concerned about uh, for months now. Former Maricopa County recorder Adrian Fontes is now leading insane Trumper and election liar Mark Fincham for secretary of state in Arizona, leading Fincham thankfully by about six points and growing. That's good news. Fincham has said he he wants to end all early and absentee voting in the state. He would not have certified Joe Biden's victory in the state had he been in the secretary of state's role back in 2020, despite all of the evidence showing that, yes. Joe Biden did win in Arizona.
0: Yeah, he's been giving every indication Mark Fincham has that he is poised and ready to get in there and muck with stuff if necessary to help Republicans win.
1: Yeah, including, you know, ending early and absentee voting, despite the fact that some 80 percent of Arizonans now vote by early or absentee ballot in the state. Uh, And also important, uh, given how much the state's current Republican attorney general has undermined democracy, that would be Mark Brnovich. Uh, He ran for the Senate nomination. He lost to the uh, Trumper Blake Masters, so he's out. But in the AG's race, therefore, in Arizona, Democrat Chris Mays now narrowly leads Republican Abraham Hamaday by just under a point in the state AG's race. So Democrats leading in all four of those statewide races after that dump in Maricopa and another in um, even more Democratic-leaning Pima County, that's Tucson, with margins growing in each of those counties, so across the state, since Thursday. But there are still, uh, that's with about 78% of the vote in. There are some 400,000 votes said still to be out there. Nonetheless, I think it would rather be a Democrat than a Republican in those particular races right now. And similarly encouraging news for democracy in nevada where the democrats are having a tougher time of it hoping to come from behind in several key races in nevada but with most of the remaining vote now said to be out in democratic-leaning counties like clark county which is vegas and washoe county which is reno so with several Dumps on Thursday night, Republican senatorial Republican senatorial candidate Adam Laxalt's lead over incumbent Democratic Senator Catherine Cortez Masto. That continues to get smaller. It is now just uh, down to 0.97%. zero point nine seven percent. Zero percent, So less than a point, according to the latest numbers. Laxalt was up by about three points on Wednesday, then about two points on Thursday. Now less than one point as we go to air. So you can see which direction this is going if it continues in that direction. We will see if it does. There's said to be about another uh, 50,000 or so votes From Clark County that are still uh, to be tallied, but Democrats seem cautiously optimistic right now in the U.S. Senate race in Nevada with Laxalt leading by only 9000 votes as we go to air. In the governor's race, there it is still a uh, much tougher climb for incumbent Democrat Steve Sisolak. He's down against Vegas area Sheriff Joe Lombardo by just over three points, though that too has been decreasing. Whether Sisolak can, whether there's enough votes out there for Sisolak to catch up, as I say, a tough climb right now. But we will see. In far more encouraging news, however, Francisco Aguilar the uh, Democratic candidate for secretary of state, has now taken the lead over Republican 2020 election liar and grave grave threat to 2024's election, Jim Marchant. He's the Republican nominee for secretary of state in Nevada. He falsely claims that pretty much all elections are now completely rigged, I guess, except for the one that he won when he was running for the GOP nomination earlier this year to replace the state's currently Republican but term-limited Secretary of State. But, you know, the one that uh, Jim Marchand, the election that he won over the summer, well, that one was fine. Marchand leads a group of election-lying Secretary of State candidates around the country, pretty much all of whom have lost, thankfully, in this year's midterms. And now it's looking more and more likely that he will lose in Nevada himself expect a challenge there, which is just fine by me, though the uh, Democrat is currently just up over half a point with 90 percent of the vote in in Nevada, albeit, as I said, with numbers improving for Democrats so far in these late reported counts. Oh, and uh, several media outlets have now called the AG's race in Nevada for Democrat Aaron Ford, who currently leads Republican Sigal Chata by more than six points. So, So there is a chance that even if Republican Joe Lombardo holds on to his current lead for governor, he'll be surrounded by a whole bunch of statewide elected Democrats to sort of help keep him in check. If both Mark Kelly wins the uh, Senate race in Arizona, which he seems in a very good position to do, and Catherine Cortez Masto overtakes Laxalt for the Senate in Nevada, if as many see, see as, as quite possible in the next day or two, well, then it may not even matter in Georgia on December six. what happens there as far as which party controls the Senate next year. Democrats would have the majority sealed, though I would advise you to count no chickens yet as to the US House uh, that is much more unclear still at this hour it likely will be for days and for possibly for weeks whoever takes the majority there well it's going to be a narrow one and anything but the red wave that corporate media has been, misleading with for so many weeks here's Bill Maher for example on his last real-time show on HBO before the election with guests Fareed Zakaria of CNN uh, of CNN yeah and the New York Times Maggie Haberman asking why oh why it went so wrong for Democrats and discussing what they should have done remember this was before election day what should the Democrats have done in the face of the disaster that was coming which of course never actually came it's funny it looked so good for the democrats like after the roe versus wade ruling it looked like abortion was going to be the big issue but that seemed to have fizzled they were going to the democrats are going to win by 12 and now the republicans are going to win by 15 or something why how'd they lose that demographic i think the biggest issue is the economy and inflation is that what you think Farid? because it turns out that wasn't the biggest uh issue it turns out it actually was abortion and bill maher they did not actually lose that demographic no matter how long you guys all three of you whined about it for an hour depressing everyone as if it was a done deal before any single election day vote was even cast Good Lord, people. Anyway, the man who had been trying at that very same time to point out the hard evidence behind the counter narrative to that nonsense, uh, and as it turns out, the correct narrative all along, Tom Bonnier, he joins us next on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman.
0: Doing something right. I must be doing something
1: right. Well, I don't know if I'm doing anything right. My uh, guest coming up momentarily certainly has been, by the way, thanks to our friend listener KCP for that uh, for that song suggestion. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com. Back in early May of this past year, a draft decision by the corrupted right-wing U.S. Supreme Court in a case now infamously known as Dobbs leaked out from a court known for its lack of leaks. The draft ruling revealed the Supreme Court's stolen and packed far-right majority was preparing to overturn Roe v. Wade lock, stock, and barrel and all of the well-established constitutional privacy rights and reproductive freedoms that had long become settled law in American jurisprudence along with it. But even before that, on this program and at bradblog.com, we had been advising that, well, these were unconventional times, to say the least, in American politics, and that the conventional wisdom that the party out of power During the first midterm elections of a new president, particularly one with a low approval rating, uh, would give the other party a drubbing. In this case, that would be the Democrats who would take that drubbing, and that that conventional wisdom should simply be ignored. Few of the old rules dictating conventional wisdom being cited and depended upon by the so-called experts and TV pundits Uh, were as likely as not to matter in these decidedly unconventional times, we tried to explain. And then came the leaked Dobbs decision, which for me anyway, largely sealed the deal, at least until the leak was uh, revealed to be a fake or the Supremes wised up before releasing their final verdict. But they didn't. They overturned Roe v. Wade in the Dobbs decision in late June, and if there was any doubt as to whether this year's midterm elections would not hew to conventional wisdom, well, that ruling should have ended that question for every American who describes electoral politics as any part of their business, whether that's as a politician, a political analyst, a member of the press. And then, for those who might have doubted themselves, there were the constant reminders all summer long throughout the 2022 primary season, Republicans kept electing far-right loons, nominating them, loons who had vowed to end democracy as we know it in this country, tin-eared politicos like Lindsey Graham who vowed to ban abortion nationally if Republicans took over Congress, or... Like Senator Rick Scott, uh, the head of the GOP Senate Campaign Committee, who vowed to put Social Security and Medicare on the chopping block in Congress every five years if Republicans took back a majority in the Senate. And, of course, the, uh, the before-your-very-eyes signals coming from special U.S. House elections all summer long in which Democrats either won or gained on their performance— During the 2020 presidential election, and for those who are really unable to notice the writing of bright red, bright red letters on the wall, there was the ballot initiative in deep red Kansas that would have allowed the state's Republicans to ban abortion entirely in the state. Well, that initiative went down by a voter landslide in early August. It was all just sitting there, all of this information, all of this evidence. But for those who could not believe their own eyes or couldn't muster the courage to face down conventional wisdom in their pack journalism groupthink, well, then came Tom Bonner of Target Smart with hard data in state after state after state, revealing what he described, including on this program as jaw dropping new voter registration numbers, revealing women signing up to vote at unheard of rates as compared to men and specifically as compared to their numbers before the release of the Dobbs decision overturning Roe. And it wasn't just women. It was Democratic women. And it wasn't just Democratic women, but young Democratic women and even young Democratic men. And it was in the so-called blue states as well as the so-called red states, particularly states where abortion had become most restricted or where Republicans were threatening to do so. Now, sure, Bonner's firm, Target Smart, provided political data for democratic campaigns and progressive advocacy organizations. But you didn't need to simply believe Tom. He was posting independently verifiable data. And there was Simon Rosenberg, a former Bill Clinton strategist and died in the wool Democrat, who was citing, again, independently verifiable evidence from available polling and other data showing that the odds were very good, that the red wave that Republicans and therefore the media continued to pretend was coming and potentially depressing the Democratic vote in the bargain Well, that that red wave was almost certainly not coming. It got so ridiculous in the final weeks of the election that mainstream outlets like Politico were instructing their own readers to ignore their very own polls, finding the Democrats were likely to do much better than, well, the conventional wisdom of both history and the moment uh, that they were beating the drum to this end in, in the press on the Internet. Over our public airwaves. Well, numbers, data, and independently verifiable facts usually don't lie, and folks like Rosenberg and Bonnier, and yeah, I guess even me appear to have ultimately been proven correct as of Election Day. Well, there is still To be clear, an outside chance that Republicans could win majority control in the U.S. Senate, and they are at least as of this hour regarded as likely to win a very slim majority in the U.S. House, although they are regarded that way by many of the very same Republicans and super geniuses in the media who had been insisting for months that Democrats were facing a bloodbath in November. So, you know, apply as many grains of salt for the moment to that until the final numbers come in as uh, as may be necessary. But while all of that still could happen, it is clear that the dreaded red wave never came. And while this seems to have shocked many Americans, particularly in the media, but not only in the right wing media where they had been diluting themselves for months, if not years, but also in the non right wing media, it really shouldn't have been shocking at all. The signs were all right there in front of us in hard data, at least for those with the ability to see it and the courage to report it to the American electorate. But why didn't so much of the media do just that? Well... He had the answers before. Let's see if he's got any more for us today. Joining us once again on the Bradcast for what I believe should be at the very least a bit of a well-deserved victory lap is our friend Tom Bonyer, CEO of Target Smart, a leading democratic data solutions firm providing political data for campaigns and advocacy organizations. And yes, for the world, if the world wishes to notice. Oh, Mr. Bonyer, welcome back to the Bradcast, sir.
0: It is truly great to be back.
1: (laughs) I want to say congratulations on getting it right. So congratulations. But in truth, it seems to me that all you really did was present independently verifiable data and allowed those who cared to look at it, uh, the option to accept it or double check it and draw their own conclusions from what you were the data you were presenting. You were actually very conservative as I saw it in, you know, offering any conclusions that you might have drawn from the data you were looking at and sharing. Am I right about that were you making an effort to offer the data without hard personal conclusions about what all of it, you know, would ultimately mean or not come November 8?
0: Yeah, you know, I I hate to say it, uh, but you're right. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) As as much as I would like to try to uh, uh, pull off uh, the the genius or wizard, you know, there was nothing magical about what I did. It was, as you say, it was seeing the numbers and it was reporting the numbers. And in the end, trying to stay away from predictions or Mm -hmm. projections, but to say, look, this is what we're seeing, and to the point um you made a moment ago really framing it in the context of the broader media narrative mm-hmm. um that was perhaps at odds with with the data that we were seeing
1: mm-hmm. and uh, and i'm wondering uh, tom how do you characterize yourself a, a democratic analyst advisor strategist activist, operative. Uh, I'm asking that because I'm wondering, however it is uh, that, that you might uh, see yourself, I'm wondering if that's why so many in the corporate media either poo-pooed or, or simply ignored or dismissed what both you and uh, Simon Rosenberg almost exclusive, uh, exclusively had been reporting for so long in the run-up to the midterms.
0: Well, you know, I, I, I like to think of myself as an optimist, but... Uh, you know, <laughs> it was difficult over the last few, few, uh, weeks and months, but, you know, yeah, in, in, in reality, what we do at Target Smart is we listen to the data. And, and that's, that's all we were doing, mm-hmm. uh, along the way was looking at the voter registration data, as mm-hmm. you mentioned, looking at the early vote data, looking at it in the context of the polls. And, and and trying to draw some conclusions, but mostly providing context and questioning the hard set assumptions. So we're really leading everyone, as you've noted, mm-hmm. almost everyone. Uh, you know, you and I first spoke in August, mm-hmm. and and uh, and uh, you've done such a wonderful job in spreading. Uh, This information that is counter to the narrative, not just in this case, but in a lot of cases. And so that's really what we've tried to do, is lift up just the hard data and then allow people to draw their own conclusions.
1: So then, Tom, how do you explain this sort of lurch to the right in the closing few weeks of the campaign when, you know, corporate media sort of began insisting that concerns about abortion rights had somehow faded among women. They stopped caring about that. All that Americans really cared about was the economy and that Democrats apparently just really screwed it up uh, all summer long, You know, putting their money on abortion rights, and they were headed for this red wave, drubbing. How do you explain that narrative that had seemingly been defied in the meantime by actual, you know, elections and data and stuff all summer
0: long? Well, it was really the convergence of two elements. One was the the, the flood of Republican polling, and as you've noted, and as you've called out, and as Simon Rosenberg, as you've said, Hmm. did just a wonderful job in shining a light on that. And I think it should be noted, when he did that He was generally mocked by some pretty influential people in the media right up until Tuesday Mm -hmm. (laughs) when he was proven right. Mm -hmm. And and so that's important, right? This doesn't happen without this concerted effort to change the narrative. I think Republicans saw in their internal polling, we're hearing this more now, right, from states where Republicans are being more honest about what they're seeing. We heard this in. Uh, in Michigan, from Republicans in Michigan saying, yeah, their polling consistently showed them losing that mm-hmm. governor's race. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yet there are all these polls being released showing different scenarios than um, what really was happening. Uh, and so that was the key element. But by itself, that doesn't happen. It took some level of um, complicit behavior from those who should be the guards against it, mm-hmm. the analysts and the yes. media, the people. Look, we're lucky in that we have these smart people who analyze elections and work just with election data, you know, the Nate Silvers, Nate Cones of the world, mm-hmm. and, and, and journalists more broadly, who are supposed to be skeptical and ask questions and then provide context. And that, you know, I, I don't want to say it didn't happen at all across that whole Swath of of journalism, but it certainly didn't happen enough. Well, and I, I think that the, the last component of that was, and the reason why that happened was the twenty sixteen election. Mm-hmm. More broadly, I think a lot of people lived through that, felt burned by the polling, and so we were seeing this sort of double correction against <laughs> what happened in twenty sixteen and to a lesser extent twenty twenty. The pollsters were being more cautious in their predictions of who a likely voter was, Mm -hmm. and then the analysts were being cautious in their interpretation of that polling with a built-in assumption, seemingly, that those polls were going to overestimate Democratic support, Mm -hmm. which they very much did not.
1: Right. In fact, it looks like it was the opposite, as you've been uh, collecting data since the election, that the polls were biased, in fact, towards... Uh, uh towards republicans more That's than right. they than they should have been i you know you mentioned uh, since you mentioned the outfits like uh, 538.com and real clear politics you and simon rosenberg were highly critical of the batch of polls that came out from a bunch of these Republican outfits in the last couple of weeks of the campaign that seemed designed to sort of mess with the polling averages on those sites, like 538, Real Clear Politics. How much of that was responsible for the seeming sort of hard right turn against Democrats that the media seemed to be expressing the final few weeks of the campaign? Do they rely that much on those sites that if you can just game those sites? And uh, you know the, the media will go along with it and say, "Well, there you go. that's uh, the nation has uh, turned to Republicans."
0: I'd say it's almost entirely responsible. Uh, again, if we hadn't, if the media's priors weren't, if if their prior conception was not that we're headed towards a red wave election before Dobbs, mm-hmm. and if their priors weren't that the polls are generally going to be biased towards Democrats, I don't think it would be as easy for them to convince the media to flip back to to this narrative of a uh, inevitable red wave uh so that's obviously an element but again that doesn't happen without a flood of polls that plant that seed of doubt mm-hmm. in the media or these election analysts where they look and say gosh here we go again i don't want to be wrong again i don't want to be put out there and criticized as a liberal and biased towards uh, democrats in my coverage so the narrative flipped and I believe this had, even though the end result in this election is incredibly positive for Democrats, uh, I think in some cases it was likely blunted by what we saw. I mean, I think about especially yes. Wisconsin in that Senate race. Mm-hmm. And you see Mandela Barnes is, you know, as we stand here, I haven't looked at it recently, but about a point down, mm-hmm. a single point, a flip of about 13,000 votes would put would have put him in the lead. That race has been called with uh, incumbent Senator Ron Johnson Mm -hmm. uh, winning. But that is a race where we saw that initial flood of bad Republican polls that showed him down, Mandela Barnes, the Democrat, down five, six, seven points. Mm -hmm. And you saw a switch flip there, where the coverage suddenly went from, instead of analyzing the race from a neutral position, talking about how crime, and inflation and the economy were really hurting mandela barnes and so if you're a wisconsin voter you wake up every morning and those are the stories that's how you're hearing his name in that Mm -hmm. context instead of stories talking about why the incumbent republican senator is uh potentially being caught up in this anti-extremist wave which is what we were seeing in all of the other data that the senator who had been warned that he was at risk of becoming a russian asset based Mm -hmm. on his actions. That wasn't being reported at that point, and I have to believe, had that media narrative not had not been overwhelmingly negative against yeah. Mandela Barnes, he'd be a senator elect today.
1: Yeah, I, I think you're right too. I was, you know, we we did a show. I think it was just before election day on. All of all of, you know, what cl- clearly seemed to be, I don't want to say disinformation, but misinformation reporting on those bad polls, ignoring what folks like you and, and Simon were saying and wondering a how much of an effect that might have in depressing turnout for for Democrats. Given there's this odd thing in America where Americans seem to like for the, you know, to vote for the winner as if they get a prize if they pick the right one. I never understood that. But there was also sort of setting it up for claims after the election if the Democrats ended up doing better than expected. You know, that, oh, Democrats must have stolen it because everyone in the media was telling us that there was going to be a Republican red wave. It was all about crime and yada yada, the economy and so forth. It just seemed to me to be a dangerous game. And uh, Tom Bonner, I don't know if you saw uh, Real Time with Bill Maher uh, on HBO last week, his his last show right before Election Day. He had as guests uh, on his panel Fareed Zakaria who is a very, very smart person. He's got his own show on CNN. You had New York Times super genius Trump reporter Maggie Haberman, and pretty much the entire hour was devoted to where did the Democrats go so wrong? I mean, you know, what should they have done? How did they blow this one? You know, a narrative that turned out to be both, you know, completely insane In in retrospect, and for some of us who were watching that night and wondering what world do these people live in, is this a matter of groupthink among, uh, you know, these big shot, uh, big time reporters who just don't want to stick their neck out, don't want to go out on a limb, even when there is a whole bunch of data to support them?
0: Well, you know, I, I didn't see that episode, but I
1: Oh, but it's I saw maddening. It. Don't look but at I, it. <laughs> uh, well, I saw it
0: everywhere else, yeah. you know what I okay. mean, yeah, in, yeah, yeah. In, in, in that well, it, it, it was everywhere. It was yeah. Cable news and, 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 you know, people are talking about and mocking right. Fox News at this point, Right. but Fox News at least is what it claims to be for the most part, <laughs> right. or, or, or what we know it is, right. which is a very biased Republican media platform. But the bottom line was most of cable news and these other outlets were – had a certain level of of, of of certainty about this outcome in a very similar way, and I have to say, as I spoke with reporters in the closing weeks, and I would be telling them that, um, you know, look, this is this is going to be a close election. That I don't see a Republican wave where they're just going to run away with this. I don't see that in the numbers, mm-hmm. and w- was just short of mocked yeah. <laughs> by reporters, certainly in an, an incredulous response. Uh, and the notion that well, you can't really learn that from early vote data. We heard a lot of that. People mm-hmm. would say, you know, a lot of jokes about how the early vote data isn't predictive of anything. As I said, look, about fifty million people cast a ballot before election day. If you can look at a database of fifty million people who you know voted in this election, and you can't draw some educated conclusions about what that means. Mm-hmm you're not very good at looking at mm. election data and you should mm. consider giving it up. <laughs> uh and but that was the general the general opinion in <laughs> <Well, laughs> the media was ignore it. It was basically anything. You know, to the point was when you look at the data out there, there was so much data that pointed in one direction, voter registration data, special elections, everything you talked about a few minutes ago, the fundraising data, the early vote data. It all pointed towards Democratic engagement, intensity, and enthusiasm. And then why did we believe that Republicans had intensity? Not because of any of those other things, people actually taking actions, but because of polls and the pollsters deciding to create likely voter samples that skewed Republicans. And when you put those two things on a scale on opposite sides from each other, it's absurd that overwhelmingly people trusted the polls and ignored all of the other data. But that is what happened.
1: Well, then there was this odd thing where they didn't trust the polls, where their media organizations did not trust their own polling. Politico. Uh, Politico for example, yeah, said, you know, uh, we're seeing that uh, Democrats are going to do better than Republicans in the generic uh, House races and so forth but ignore our poll. It's an outlier. It couldn't possibly be true. Now, it actually wasn't that much of an outlier. There was a whole bunch of, and I think... It was a pretty good poll. It was a good poll, But and, and there was others. I think uh, Simon uh, Rosenberg actually had uh, detailed a bunch of polls from NBC, from uh, Reuters, Politico, uh, you know, a long list of yeah, other outfits. Marist. Yeah, sure. that said the same thing. And yet they ignored their own... Polling, Which sort of brings me, you know, um, Freed Zakaria and Maggie Haberman, they were, you know, on on uh, Bill Maher. They are not idiots. They are not Fox News right wingers. And yet they all played along with the same narrative. Our, our friend and longtime media critic Dan Frumkin, who spent years at The Washington Post, he described the failure by the news media in, in this election not as a fluke, but as a system of rot where they simply couldn't even consider, you know, quote, that voters might reject extremism this year, no matter the data before their eyes, often in their own polls. Is this more than a mere miss by the media, Tom? Uh, is, is it actually symptomatic of a larger systemic sort of structural problem in the media?
0: Uh, to a large extent, yes, and and for a lot of reasons that are, fairly complicated. But in the end, I think one of the biggest reasons is that this analysis is generally, political analysis in general, relies on a sense of comparison to a past precedent. Mm -hmm. And generally in elections, that works pretty well. But as you and I have been discussing for the last two months, this was an election without precedent. And in the end, the media couldn't accept that. Uh, They couldn't Mm -hmm. accept that these were different times and that the notion of women losing uh, a fundamental human right was something that uh, was going to change things, and I will tell you, I, discussions with reporters, mm-hmm. uh, some of these on TV, <laughs> mm-hmm. where I would talk about uh, this Dobbs effect, and would be asked the question of, "Well, but that happened back in June. Do you think that's still in effect? <laughs> do you think that still has an impact?" And you know, the reality is, if you said that to any woman you'd be laughed out of the room but there are a lot of men having that conversation in the media and and in the end now i hope they realize how absurd that question was but you know in terms of the broader question of the media and what they optimize around optimizing around clicks optimizing around a sense of equity and balance Mm -hmm. when there is not symmetry in this country in terms of the two political parties with the extremism of the Republican Party, so the media in trying to strike a balance between the two naturally has to hew so far to the right Mm -hmm. to be able to feel like they're comfortably in the middle, and that's why you see things like that, what you saw in Bill Maher, and why we see it all around uh, the, the media, and yes, it's a significant structural problem.
1: And, you know, when I was looking at your data, I was very careful about reporting it on this show as well, not because I didn't think it was true, but, you know, for a a bunch of reasons. You know, you don't, A, you don't want to get people's hopes up. B, we try to report accurately what the data is without trying to, uh, you know, push folks one way or another, left or right. So I do think you could take the information you were putting out there and uh, report it without Uh, you know, sort of without spin, saying, look, we don't know if this early data, early voting data really will result in a blue wave, if you will. But maybe we should be cautious about the other narrative, the one that says, oh, the the, uh, Republicans are going to, uh, you know, clean up on Tuesday. Just mitigate that reporting, let people know what the facts are. Uh, without really going one way or another, it seems they were unable to do that even that much, just sort of, you know, ease up on the red wave talk uh, in the days before the election.
0: Yeah, it, it's true. They, they were, uh, you know, looking at inflation uh, and the fact that this is a midterm mm-hmm. election with the you know, Republicans being the party out of power. Um, You know, it was that precedent, and then there just notion that you can't trust the polls to not be biased against Republicans. And I also, frankly, I think the human psychology of what it feels like to be wrong when Republicans are constantly attacking the media of having a liberal bias, Mm. that that has to be at least in the back of their mind. I think there's a reason why CNN's made this decision. Uh, you know, and a lot of it's an economic one to mm-hmm. to hew more to the the right of center at the moment, and so I think again, all of those things combined and collided into this result where they were ignoring the data in front of them i mean as i as I said at the outset of this conversation, there's nothing about what I did that was magical or even at any sort of level of high mathematics mm-hmm. or um, anything like that it was literally just looking at the data and reporting what we saw and it was very simple and it was very clear and again it pointed universally in in one direction and and as you said we weren't looking at that and saying this means there's certainly a blue wave we we're right. saying there's blue intensity and uh democratic intensity and engagement and enthusiasm and we'll see to what extent republicans are going to be able to meet it but the odds of Republicans being able to exceed it by so much that they would just sweep the elections and pick up four or five seats in the Senate and 35 seats in mm-hmm. the House, as some were predicting, as many were predicting, we just didn't see that as plausible. That would have been the outlier. But the reality was the outlier eventuality was being reported as the likely yes. uh, and, outcome.
1: And that's kind of my point in, in highlighting the way you covered him. You said, here's the data. You did not necessarily come out with a conclusion about it. It seems to me that you were doing the job they should have been doing. They don't have to say, oh, this means Democrats are going to clean up, r- Republicans are going to you know take a drubbing. They can just say, here is the data. Make of it what you will. And even that, they seemed afraid to do. Tom, I got two quick questions I want to try to jam in here uh, if I can. Young Voters, uh, Gen Z, and Millennials uh, came out as uh, far more likely to support Democrats than. Any other age group, according to CNN exit poll data, Uh, after years of folks sort of beating up on young voters for not turning out for midterm elections and so forth. But they did. They turned out, it seems, and perhaps they helped to save the day. I believe your data suggested as much for some time. Did their ultimate turnout, as far as you can tell, their ultimate turnout numbers sort of match up with your expectations based on the data you were seeing?
0: we don't know the exact turnout because we don't get the election day vote history that tells us who voted mm-hmm. in some states for months. So the, the whole story won't be written uh, for a bit in the places where we have the data. It's clear that the youth vote was engaged as they were in 2018 uh, in terms of were they higher than 18. Uh, that would be a remarkable and astounding feat, which would surprise me because 2018 was sort of the flip. Democrats were the party out of power. Trump was in the White House um and so if we see numbers even approaching 2018 in this election where republicans had all the wind at their back before the dobbs decision i think will be a remarkable victory i do expect to see those numbers being very high i have to credit john Del Volpi from uh, Uh harvard who does a lot of great research and analysis on the youth vote and he said well someone asked me what percent of the of younger voters turned out in this election? I'll say enough to deliver this result, <laughs> and I think that's exactly what we saw. The fact that this Democratic coalition was so broad, and that younger voters, Gen Z especially, clearly played a critical role. And without their engagement in this election, when they generally don't engage in midterm elections, you wouldn't have seen the result we got.
1: Mm. Last question, uh, Tom Bonier, uh Since everyone else in the media was apparently surprised by what happened on Tuesday, I'm wondering uh, what surprised even you about the outcome, uh, if anything, or, or at least uh, about what is known so far about uh, the outcome this year?
0: Mm. You know, every election has surprises for anyone, even those who are spending a lot of time looking at the data. I do have to admit that on election night when I heard that Lauren Boebert.
1: In <laughs> yes. Colorado, yeah. a,
0: you know, MAGA Republican mm-hmm. uh, was locked in a very close race. I was very surprised that wasn't on anyone's radar. Correct. Uh, you know, in the end, it looks like she'll probably pull it out. Mm-hmm. But to me, I would say, yeah. Even though I knew the 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 Democratic intensity and enthusiasm engagement was at a high level from all the data we were looking at, I do have to admit to being surprised you know that we're standing here and Democrats might pick up a seat in the Senate. Uh that's a yep. real possibility at this point and that the house is very close. Wherever this ends up and yep. it's going to take a while to vote count those ballots out west, that the house is likely going to be you know only a handful of seats majority for one side or the other and the fact that um you know that's still in play I think is a surprise for everybody. <sighs>
1: Well, the man who uh, shouldn't have surprised the world had you just paid attention to what he's saying. He's been saying now for months. Tom Bonier is the CEO of TargetSmart, a democratic data solutions firm providing political data for campaigns and advocacy groups. You can and should follow him on the Twitters as long as there still is a Twitters to follow. You can find him there at T Bonier. that's T-B-O-N-I-E-R, or you can follow his company Target Smart on Twitter as well, and they are at targetsmart.com. Tom, once again, thank you and congratulations, and all of that. And I'm hoping we find yet another reason to bring you back. Always a delight to talk to you, sir.
0: I hope so, too. Thank you so much, Brad.
1: Thanks, Tom. Okay, we have got to get out. My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. It is always an honor. If you missed any portion of today's program or any other, you can download all of them since time immemorial at bradblog.com. And hey, while you're there, please consider hitting one of those donate buttons. We are 100% listener supported and could use your help, or you can go straight to bradblog.com slash donate. Thank you in advance. Drop me email. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com on the Facebooks and the Twitters. I am the Brad Blog. I will see you there. Till we see you here next time, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.